0: For some reason, I think that there is nothing that tastes better than campfire cooking over an open fire or grilling or just simply sitting around a fire. And my guest today is Paula Marcoux. She is the author of the book, Cooking with Fire, from roasting on a spit to baking in a tenure, I think is how you say it, rediscovered techniques and recipes that capture the flavors of wood-fired cooking. Welcome, Paula. How are you?
1: I'm great. Thanks for having me.
0: Well, I love the whole concept of your book, and I think it's so interesting that you're not only a food writer, but a former archaeologist, and it sort of all goes together. I I think cooking with fire is when food became a little more interesting to us as humans, didn't it?
1: Definitely, and also a lot more nutritious. But that was a really long time ago, 1.9 million years ago. As <laughs> the latest sort of research shows us So we don't have too much memory back before that. Um, what, we, what the major transition has been is us stopping cooking with fire, and that's only a couple generations ago. Everybody in the world cooked with fire until just a couple generations ago. So we're the first people, we're the aberrant ones who've given up on that technology, and I think that's why it tastes so good to you. You're going back to uh, back to your roots and back to your great-grandmother's and great-great-grandmother's cuisine.
0: Sure, something a little bit more uh, ingrained in us. But so was it electricity that made us all quit?
1: Uh, well, it was a, a series of fuel shortages, really, over thousands of years, but culminating in the mid-19th century with the Industrial Revolution, when... Uh, uh, fuel was being used uh, well wherever people went in this country um, as people were moving westward, and so the invention of the wood-fired cast iron cook stove really closed up people's chimneys for good, pretty much. Mm-hmm. Um, people really welcomed it as an advance in technology, and it was and it's certainly a fuel saver. But uh, culinarily, uh, you can cook a lot of great things with a with a cast iron cook stove, no doubt. But mm-hmm. a few things you can't do very well, and that's Roasting meat and, uh, or roasting really anything over an open open coals, and uh, baking. Baking really took a nosedive uh, when the cast iron cook stove days. So we lost a lot when uh, when that uh, heart open hearth and brick oven cooking went out the window in this country.
0: Well, you know, in your book, not only do you have so many recipes, but you also have ways that you can sort of DIY cook with your own fire. And I'm looking at these backyard um you know, sort of brick ovens, and they're—it's uh, just so amazing. And this is a project I'd like to undertake. But the first picture that you show—the oven already in your house—it looks as though it's a fireplace.
1: So, well, for a lot of people uh, in the Northeast, uh, they have may have uh, fireplace and even brick ovens in their houses uh, if they live in an older house. Um, That's—it's uh, not something everyone has. I don't have one in my house, but when I've gotten to use them, and often they're just disregarded things inside people's chimneys, mm-hmm. um, they're just wonderful to use. So I just want to bring that, at, point people's attention towards that in case they have one and are just ignoring it. Some people store things in it or there's just old junk in it from God knows when or maybe some um, heating ducts have been put up through it, but they can be restored and they bake as sweetly as any oven that can be made nowadays, for sure. And if you have it in your house, it's very, very convenient.
0: So it's that sort of square opening beside the main fireplace that could, in fact, be an original... Oven that's
1: right, yeah, yeah. but
0: what A about the fireplace it. itself? Could we you know cooking in our yeah. fireplace?
1: Absolutely yes. Um, even the tiniest little fireplace, if, as long as you can draw uh, the smoke out of your house, so the <laughs> cooking. Um, there's uh, so many recipes that are just you know very easy to cook in a very small hearth or a large one for that matter. But I mean, just using two bricks and a very small um, grill grate that you just take out of a grill, like a hibachi grate or any kind of um, sturdy grate. Put it across two bricks and shovel in some coals from your uh, fireplace fire under that, and you can make you know a delicious steak or um, grill some vegetables or whatever you 'd like to do it 's no different than grilling on a, a grill outdoors, except honestly um, a lot better you have the coals are can often be very close to the what you 're cooking and mm-hmm. um, create just a really really um, nice sear and delicious flavor and then once again, right in your house, it could be just in your living room or your kitchen or your uh, dining room. Uh, it's very, very handy and something that people far too often just sort of let slide. Yeah,
0: yeah. Oh, I love that. I'm very inspired by that idea. Well, one of the things that I just want so badly is a wood-fired oven in my backyard. And you are giving, in the book, step-by-step instructions. I want to ask you, I know this is a hard question to answer, but how much would it cost for the average, to build your own DIY average uh, wood-fired oven in your backyard?
1: Well, it doesn't really need to be expensive at all. Uh, I have a number of them in my yard that I've built for maybe $50 each um, because I'm a big scrounger. Um, The only part that I usually buy, and this completely relates to the size of your oven uh, in terms of the cost, how the cost works out. But I buy um, refractory fire brick for the hearth, the, the baking floor where the bread goes, um, because it holds the heat so well, It has an, and it has a very nice even release of the heat and stores it up well. Um, so those I get from a masonry supply store, and they'll run you from 50 to to $100, depending on the size of the oven. The rest of my ovens are made up out of clay and sand and rocks and wood, uh, and then you need to, and it's some kind of roof. Uh, that's what the wood is for, either supporting the oven or for making uh, the uh, roof frame. Because mm-hmm. um, I use clay mortar, um, that has to be sheltered from, from the weather to keep it from you know, washing out. And also in the Northeast, we have tro- tro- trouble with um, for the freeze-thaw cycle if a clay mortar gets wet. Soak through and then um, freezes, it'll crack and just sort of melt away and break. So, just a it doesn't have to be an encompassing roof, but just a roof to keep the worst of the rain and snow off it. Sure.
0: Um,
1: people do, however, spend many thousands of dollars.
0: On I these know. All they
1: would like to have fancy, um, beautiful one that's sort of pre-made, uh, and there are very good um, manufacturers. But you might spend, you know, $30,000 if you get one that's all um, copper-clad and lovely. It's also very trouble-free to work. Um, and, you know, you could use it almost as a commercial bakery. Uh, or You could use it as a commercial bakery. Uh, but uh, there's, that's just to say there's a large range of choices, and I try to give people full, a full access to that range in the book because uh, I, I hate the idea of someone spending a lot of money on something they're never going to use yeah, um, or just use very seldom when they could have taken a route that would maybe put them more in touch with the actual oven by, say, building it, uh, and then be more in in concert with the way that they actually want to go about cooking or baking. Plus, I also point out that there are a number of great ways to bake bread that don't involve building an oven at all, um, using a cast iron um, bake kettle or Dutch oven, which are still being made today um, and available in this country, or sometimes you can find them at tag sales or whatever. Um they have a very tight-fitting lid, so when you put the and you heat them up over coals of your campfire or your fireplace fire until the iron is pretty hot, you put your lump of risen dough in there and close the lid up and put it down on a little bed of coals, maybe covered with some ashes so that it's not too, too hot, and then you put coals on the lid of this pot, and it's very well sealed up so that the lid stays nice and clean inside. But it bakes really beautifully. The chamber is just perfect size for the bread, so you get just the right steaminess, a very nice thin crust, and a uh, really, really delicious flavor. Oh, that I'm might just... Cost, you know, Few bucks and uh, last you for your whole life if you're careful and don't drop it onto a concrete surface. Uh, <laughs> Sounds and, like that uh, has you have experience with that. <laughs> uh, no, no, I'm just dread, dread, afeared of it. As I used say, I'm really afraid that that could happen um, because uh, um, cast iron is very brittle. Uh, it's very, very strong but brittle. So you might drop a wrought iron thing like a fire shovel uh, and it won't break. But right. Something but this cast would. iron would uh, is a brittle has a brittleness to it that and you'll also see that with chips or cracks. And very often you can use the things anyway, unless it's right in the bottom.
0: Yeah. If you're just joining us, we're speaking with Paula Marcoux about her beautiful book, Cooking with Fire. And, you know, the thing that's interesting is so many people now have fire pits in their backyard, so you don't have to go camping to have a campfire. So what are some of the more surprisingly simple things we could do in our backyard fire pit this summer?
1: Oh, there are so many that you can just replace your uh, sort of cheese and cracker display at your next party that you happen to have a fire pit at. Replace that with making toasted cheese, uh, which involves your guests much more in creating their own appetizer. and kind of lengthens and deepens that period of the meal. We sort of throw crackers and cheese out as just something to put out there. But yeah. if you cut the cheese into square or cubes, I should say, uh, rather than into slices, and have some nice crusty bread, or crackers would do, but crusty bread is great for this, and maybe some zesty condiments like a chutney or a mustard or just a pile of chopped scallions, um, put the cheese uh, on, impale it on the end of a stick. You can, um, you know, take your um, scout knife out and uh, put a point on a piece of maple from the woods, or you can use just a long skewer that you can even buy. Uh, and hold the cheese not over the flames of the fire, but over really hot coals. So push the fire aside a little bit, and usually you'll find it, if your fire has been burning more than half an hour, you'll find a little coal bed in there. Um, Sort of the hold the cheese over that, and it'll begin to melt and ooze. And in the case of certain cheeses, it'll begin to crust up and become really delicious. Uh, and as that melts, you have your cheese, have your bread slice ready, and uh, sort of just wipe that onto there, or let it drip onto there, and have, have the condiments with it, and maybe a glass of wine or beer. And as I said, it's not instant, but it's also much more gratifying and much more collaborative. And oh, it, God, it I love the best it. Aspects of toasting a marshmallow without actually having to eat a marshmallow at the end. Exactly.
0: (laughs) Exactly. S'mores are one of those things that you want to love them, (laughs) but but not always. Oh, I love that idea, Paula. That is just so neat, and what a great way to make it interactive. I agree. That's awesome. Well, something that sounds so unexpected, but actually is the recipe that Paula is sharing with us, is baklava, campfire baklava. Now, I cannot imagine doing this in the fire but just give us a few hints on making this a success.
1: Well, first off it comes it's it's not exactly a historical recipe. I kind of made it up, but it's based on historic techniques um the central asian people that were that invented stretched out doughs that baklava baklavas made with filo a stretched out dough and that comes from this area where people still make borek today by stretching out Um, uh, just a flour water dough and then putting cheese or nice fat spicy lamb or all kinds of different fillings on it and then you butter up that packet and then cook it on a griddle. So I was thinking well this is where baklava comes from too. Originally no one knows quite when, thousands of years ago why don't we do that on the griddle? So basically I stretch out a very simple dough and that sounds you stretch it out really until you can almost read through it like strudel Mm -hmm. and it's not as hard and superhuman as it sounds. It just takes doing it a couple times and And, I mean, I've shown a lot of people how to do it, and I'm amazed how uh, people just take to it and really can make something quite creditable, even though they may never have touched a lump of dough before, um, as long as they allow themselves the time to do it. Um, So in case you stretch out this dough very, very thinly, and you butter it up with melted butter and put a little filling of walnuts with a a little bit of sugar and cinnamon, maybe some cloves uh, in there, and fold it up like a little square packet buttering each surface, much as you do when you're making baklava Mm -hmm. using dry filo that you buy, and then just cook it on a medium-hot griddle uh, over the fire, and it toasts up to be just wonderfully crispy and delicious. Um, nice and crisp through and through. Cut that up and pour a honey syrup on it, really just diluted honey. Uh, and it is just a much sort of deeper, country, rustic version of baklava. Uh, and it re- really something you can make, sort of when you're roughing it, if you really want to pretend you're not. Uh, <laughs> or you can make it just in your own kitchen on a, on a cast-iron uh, griddle also, but yeah. something that's really fun to make outdoors because it seems to juxtapose so weirdly with uh, being out in the elements, uh, eating a crispy pastry like
0: that. I have to say, between talking about the toasted cheese and the bread and the baklava, I am quite literally salivating. And I just, I'm really (laughs) inspired by this. And so if you've got a fireplace, if you've got a backyard fire pit, if you want to build your own brick oven, there's so many recipes, tips, inspiration. And what I love is lots of photos. The book's called Cooking with Fire. And you know what, before I say the whole name again, Paula, is it Tenure?
1: Yes, it is tenure. Very
0: good. Okay. Cooking with fire from roasting on a spit to baking in a tenure, rediscovered techniques and recipes that capture the flavors of wood-fired cooking. And you can find more about Paula at her website, which is com, and I'll also put a link on amy-tobin.com. But, Paula, thank you so much for inspiring us into cooking with fire.
1: Oh, thank you. I enjoyed it very much.
0: Stick around for another helping from Amy's Table on Q102. Q102. out to Kristen here, reminding you not to do things. What I mean is, with same-day delivery for everything from gifts to groceries, you only have to do the things you want to do. To not do the other things, visit shipped.com. That's Shipt.com. That's S-H-I-P-T dot com. With winter weather making it harder to stay active, here's a gift idea for the outdoor adventurer in your life, the Allbirds Mizzle Collection. The Allbirds Mizzle is designed for those who won't take snow for an answer. Featuring built-in puddle guard technology to keep the winter wonderland where it belongs, not in your shoe. The weather-ready sole offers enhanced traction, so you go on winter runs with confidence. And it's made with premium ZQ Merino wool, a naturally insulating material that keeps your feet warm and sports a low environmental impact. Allbirds displays their carbon footprint right on the shoe, so you can see the difference for yourself. On top of that, they actually offset the carbon footprint to zero, making their missile collection completely carbon neutral so you can stay warm and dry while trading lighter. This holiday season, get on their nice list when you shop the Allbirds Mizzle Collection. Discover your perfect pair at allbirds.com. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com.